You are listening to Defunct Games Presents Cyril Reed's Bionic Commando. Previously on Cyril Reed's Bionic Commando. After successfully defeating the evil Nas organization, Jack Markson and his partner, Super Joe, were ready to celebrate their victory. But Generalissimo Kilt and the bad terrorist group had other ideas. Using ninjas and snipers, Kilt ruined their day and kidnapped Super Joe. Thankfully, Jack was able to escape, but not before suffering some major injuries to his arm. The Federation may have been able to save Jack, but they were forced to remove his arm and attach a plastic bionic arm that will aid him on his quest to defeat Kilt and rescue Super Joe. In his first mission, Jack was able to dodge bullets and confuse his enemies with his bionic arm. Unfortunately, not everything went as planned because our hero was captured by Kilt and forced to make a narrow escape. Will he ever find Super Joe? Will he make it over those spikes? And will he ever get his fill of salted pizza? Find out now when you listen to another exciting episode of Cyril Reed's Bionic Commando. Chapter 8 Jack pulled off his plaid jacket and threw it on the floor. He flexed his bionic arm and felt for the grappling hook. There was only one way across that pit. He'd have to swing over it, and hope he didn't end up as a shish kebab. Jack crept up to the edge of the pit, staring at the rows of pointy spikes that cover it like hungry teeth. This was going to be tricky. The pit was at least 30 feet across. Jack figured it was too far to make it in one good swing. Then something happened that gave him hope. A panel on the floor started to move back and forth. Back and forth over the spikes. This might be the break he needed. Jack felt the sweat break out all over his body. If he jumped too soon, or too late, he'd end up skewered. He had to time it just right. Jack watched the panel slide back and forth for several minutes. At least it was predictable. It always took the same time to cover the same distance. Jack tried to dredge up the faint memory of high school algebra. There was some kind of formula for a problem like this. Suddenly, he could see it written on the chalkboard. He plugged in the numbers and made some quick calculations. Jack waited for the exact right second, and then he shot out the grappling hook onto the ceiling. Thonk! Aiming for the shifting panel, Jack swung out over the pit. Halfway across, Jack looked down and froze... Something was wrong. Really wrong. The panel was moving away from him instead of towards him. Beneath his feet, the pit was yawning wide like a mouth of a famished monster. Desperately, Jack tried to lengthen the swing. His feet were coming down within inches of the steely spikes. Only a few more seconds and he would be mincemeat. Just in time, the panel reversed directions and slid under Jack. He collapsed in the metal plate and tried to figure out what he had done wrong. All of a sudden, it came to him. That stupid formula. He divided instead of multiplied. Jack reminded himself never to use algebra on a mission again. Then he looked over and he saw a flare bomb sitting in the ledge ten feet away. He shot out the grappling hook, leapt off the panel, and swung up to get them. Carefully, he picked up one of the explosives. The bomb was Federation-made. Jack had learned how to use this model in spy school. 
They blew up like a truckload of Roman candles. There was only one problem. The bombs were about as sensitive as eggs. Jack wished he had worn his combat jacket so that he could stuff the bombs into his pockets. Anyway, he was beginning to shiver. The room seemed to be getting cold. Real cold. Jack looked down at the bomb and saw a glaze of ice forming on the black surface. What, what, what was going on? He looked around and he saw the slick ice was covered every surface in the room. The floor and walls looked like the inside of a huge refrigerator. Even the tips of the spikes in the pit glistened. Jack couldn't believe it. If this was neutral territory, what, what would the rest of the stage be like? Kilt was really working his sick imagination over time. Jack stuffed the bombs inside his shirt and then shot the grappling hook onto the ceiling. It hit the icy surface and skidded off. Then the cold, cold truth hit Jack. The grappling hook was useless. He'd have to jump across the pit, back to the panel. Jack knew he had to move fast. His feet and legs were beginning to get stiff and frozen. He backed up and made a long running jump. From the minute his feet left the ground, Jack knew that it was the perfect jump. He landed in the middle of the panel, safe from the spike-filled pit. But the leather bottoms of his tourist shoes started sliding and didn't stop. Jack slid out of control to the end of the icy panel, hugging the bombs against his chest. Chapter 9 The sharp spikes were so close that Jack could see the jagged burrs on their side. The thought of death made him think fast. There was something that could save him. The hot finger and his bionic arm. Jack activated the button and pressed the finger against the freezing metal plate. There was a hiss of steam. The surface went from frozen ice to a hot griddle in seconds. Jack's uncontrolled slide stopped instantly. Then, he frantically jumped up and down until the panel slid to a spot where he could jump off. This place is the pits, he yelled. He scrambled back to the door that he came through just a short time ago. Jack grabbed his plaid tourist jacket, stuffed the flare bombs into his pocket, and opened up the door. As he scrambled down the steps, he saw a small figure at the bottom of the stairway waiting. I'm in a hurry, tiger. Jack barked as he ran past into the video arcade. Me too! I want to go to America! Jack yelled over the beeping and buzzing of the video games. Jack stopped in front of the game called American Commando. He decided to play the game as a cover while he got things straight with the kid. Listen, tiger, Jack said feeding a token into the machine. I'm on a very important mission. I can't take you following me around like a puppy. Tiger watched in awe as Jack blew away one enemy after another in the video game. You're really amazing! Tiger exclaimed. I've had a little practice, kid. Jack said, blowing away the last enemy tank. Too bad it's not this easy in real life. Now scram! I've got work to do. Tiger started to protest. 
but he was too late. Jack had already slipped through the crowd and out of sight. Captain, come in, it's Jack. Jack stood up on the rooftop of the cafe where he had met Heather. The smell of cooking pizza floated up from the exhaust nearby. Jack flicked the send button on his communicator again. Come in, Captain. The communicator crackled with static. Then the captain's voice came on. How's the arm, Jack? The arm's fine, Captain, Jack answered. In case you're interested, I'm okay, too. Did you get the flare bombs? The captain asked. I've got them right here, Jack said, patting the bulge in his jacket. Then proceed to stage four, the captain ordered. You'll receive further instructions from our agents there. Captain, what have you heard about Super Joe? Jack asked. The only answer was static from the transmitter. The captain had broken contact. From the bird's eye view, Jack took one more look around San Gennaro. He saw Heather Willis walking towards the boat docks. Jack wondered if she was heading to another stage of the mission. He hoped he would see her again. Heather had worked with him on a similar mission in Bolivia a few years earlier. They were tracking down terrorists who had kidnapped an ambassador's daughter. Heather had gone undercover to rescue the girl in an operation that took both skill and guts. She was good. Jack caught sight of Tiger roaming around the streets near the docks. Looking for him, probably. The kid was determined, no doubt about it. Jack knew that he had to get on to the next stage of his mission. He radioed for the chopper. Seconds later, it was hovering above him, waiting like a chauffeur-driven limo. Jack climbed up into the copter and took off, leaving the snow-capped mountains of San Gennaro far, far behind. The flight to stage four was due east, about one hour and 20 minutes. Jack punched in the coordinates and flicked the chopper into autopilot. He picked up the mission brief and started to read about stage four. Before he got through page one, an alarm on the control panel went off in a fit of wild beeping. Jack knew that sound. It meant enemy aircraft was in the area. He flipped out of autopilot and took over the controls. This was the part of flying Jack loved the most. He had gone through special training as a chopper commando. He swung the aircraft around in a quick circle to check out of the sky. Ten bad fighter planes were coming after him from the southwest. They were evil-looking black planes with the bad eagle painted on their side in red. Jack prepared for evasive action. Suddenly, the sky burst into a firework display of gunfire. Jack dodged and dipped in his chopper, outmaneuvering the ten planes as they fell out of their flight pattern and started to panic. Four of the bad planes nosedived into the ocean, shot down by bullets from other bad planes. Jack decided he'd seen enough of their pathetic flying. He zoomed up in a speed lift, losing the rest of the planes in the clouds. An hour later, Jack was dressed in his green commando uniform and a parachute. He piloted the chopper into a descent over stage four. 
watching through binoculars. It was a small, kidney-shaped island covered with a white sand. Jack saw no signs of life except a few birds of prey swooping up and down along the edge of the beach. This place made Jack nervous. Where were the kilt's soldiers? Why hadn't they tracked him on the radar? Was this a big trap he was walking into, never to come out of again? Jack shoved his fears in the back of his mind and jumped out of the helicopter hatch. He floated down into the deadly silence of the island, landing on the soft, gritty sand. Looking around, all Jack saw was a wasteland of beach, strewn with shells and driftwood. The bright sun shimmered off the sand, nearly blinding him. He walked to the edge of the water to look around. Jack looked into the water in amazement. The beach ended in a sheer drop 20 or 30 feet down. Through the crystal clear water, he saw a grotto made of pink coral at the bottom of the sea floor. That had to be it. The entry to stage four. Kilt's whole operation on the island was underground. And there was only one way to get it. Under the water! Jack looked down at his heavy combat boots. They would make him sink like a stone as soon as he hit the water. All he had to do was make it to that entrance. Oh, and hold his breath. Jack looked up as he heard a vulture shriek in the sky above. He saw its beady eyes, sharp beak, and curved claws. Not a good omen. Jack wondered what it was hanging around for. Then he took a deep breath and jumped. The boots dragged him to the bottom like magnets searching for the North Pole. Jack opened his eyes and investigated the bizarre underwater world. Everything was lit by an eerie green light that faded the deeper he went. Green and yellow seaweed pulled at him like slimy fingers as he passed by. Strange-looking tropical fish peered at him with bulging eyes and then darted away. Finally, Jack reached the bottom of the sea floor. The coral entrance seemed to be only a few feet away. Jack felt the pressure begin to build in his lungs. He had to get air. Soon. He pushed off his legs towards the grotto. Suddenly, the light above him was blotted out. Jack noticed that a dark shadow was fallen across the ocean floor. Eight long tentacles stretched out from the center. Jack's heart started to pound. Slowly, he turned his head up and met a yellow eyes of a giant octopus. To be continued. Game Hint. You need at least 300 bullets to get through stage 6 and 8. And now, an open letter to J.B. Stamper, author of Cyril Reed's Bionic Commando. Hello, J.B. Stamper. Well, you've done it again. You've left me utterly confused and bewildered about where this book is headed. But we can't go too long without mentioning the 800-pound gorilla in the room. Actually, scratch that. It's more like an 800-pound octopus in the water. Okay, I know it's been a while since I played the original Bionic Commando, but I sure as hell don't remember the part where you battle a gigantic octopus. I can accept sending our hero underwater. I don't remember that being in the game, but 
you know, I can accept that as an interesting location for a level. I mean, that's fine. However, I don't remember anything about an octopus because, well, that's fucking ridiculous. I'm sorry, but is Jack Markson also going to be forced to battle space invaders and the Loch Ness Monster? Perhaps we can battle Bigfoot and the evil Chupacabra. Why not? We already have him squaring off against an eight-legged octopus. And why stop there? Why not just throw in Doc Ock from the Spider-Man series? Actually, that would probably make more sense, just as long as it's not the Green Goblin. After three movies, I'm downright sick of the Green Goblin. Moving on, I like how we're already repeating ourselves from the first episode. Remember the prologue where Jack ended up swinging over a big pit of spikes? Well, that entire page is recycled in this chapter, word for word. Not that I'm complaining, but with the Ninja Gaiden book, it took A.L. Singer more than 20 chapters to complete the circle. But in this book, you've done it in nine chapters. Chapter nine, seriously. We're barely a month into this thing, and you're already recycling content? And while I'm at it, if you plan on making that, that tiger kid a sidekick character later on, then I might as well just stop reading this book right now. What is this, Indiana Jones and the, the Temple of Doom? Do you not have any original thoughts in your head? Or maybe it's just an annoying kid who likes to watch a disabled guy play video games. Either way, enough with the character, he's, he's terrible and I, I hate doing his voice. Unless you plan on having him throw fireballs and do uppercuts and stuff. Oh man, I'd, I'd pay money to, to be able to use that tiger uppercut sound clip in context of this book. But I doubt I'll get a chance, so... Hey, here we go. How about that sound effect? What's that? We don't have the sound effect? Oh, right. It's a letter. I can't do sound effects. God, screw that. This is stupid. Fine. You know what? I'm just I'm just going to listen to the rest of the song and get out of here. So I'll see you next week. Yours truly, Sarah Lachelle. <laughs>